everyone, and welcome to The Odo Approach, a podcast created by medical students for medical students to teach you about all things otolaryngology. I'm your host, Aileen, and today we're going to talk about an approach to adult neck masses. Tag along for a discussion about this common otolaryngology presentation, and stick around to hear some high-yield tips at the end. A neck mass is an abnormal lump in the neck of any size and of many different etiologies. It's important to realize that not all neck masses mean tumor or cancer. Other etiologies of neck masses include congenital, infectious, inflammatory, autoimmune, metabolic, idiopathic, or traumatic. To simplify this, neck masses most commonly fit into one of three broad categories, being a congenital anomaly, an infectious or inflammatory condition, or a neoplasm. Congenital masses are commonly found in children. However, they can be slow growing and persist into adult years. Therefore, congenital masses should still be considered in the differential diagnosis of a neck mass, even in adults. The most common congenital neck masses include thyroglossal duct cysts, dermoid or sebaceous cysts, and branchial cleft cysts. Thyroglossal duct cysts are midline neck masses found adjacent to the hyoid bone. They are the most common congenital cervical anomaly and result from the incomplete closure of the thyroglossal duct, which is in the path that the thyroid gland takes from the tongue base to the inferior neck during development. Branchial cleft cysts, representing 22% of congenital neck masses, are divided into first, second, third, and fourth branchial cleft cysts. Remember that they are called branchial, not brachial cysts. First, branchial cysts are broken up into type 1 and type 2. Type 1s generally present as preauricular cysts, and type 2s present at the angle of the mandible, or the submandibular region. Second branchial clefts are the most common of the bunch, and tend to be located along the anterior border of the sternocleidomastoid. Third and fourth branchial cysts are not as common and are usually located in the lower anterior part of the neck. They are often found to be tender and erythematous. Dermoid cysts are often soft and painless and can present anywhere in the neck. Many different infections can cause neck masses, including bacterial, viral, or even fungal. Infections often result in neck masses from reactive lymphadenitis, which is simply swelling of the lymph nodes in response to an infection. Some common viral infections include cytomegalovirus, or CMV, or Epstein-Barr virus, or EBV. A neck mass may also be the result of a primary bacterial lymph node infection, which can include cat scratch disease, tubercular lymphadenitis, non-tuberculosis mycobacterium, and actinomycosis infections. Sometimes these primary bacterial lymph node infections can cause abscesses, which usually require IV antibiotics and possibly surgical drainage. Cultures of these abscesses most commonly contain Staphylococcus and Streptococcus species, although they are often polymicrobial. As mentioned, neoplastic neck masses can either be malignant or benign. Benign neck masses are characterized by their slow growth and lack of invasion into nearby tissues and structures. Some examples of benign masses include lymphomas, hemangiomas, neuromas, and fibromas. Unfortunately, head and neck malignancy is the most common cause of adult neck masses. For that reason, all adult neck masses should be considered malignant until proven otherwise. In addition, researchers have begun to report that late presentations of disease may be related to COVID-19 pandemic. Malignant masses can arise as a primary tumor or as the result of metastasis. Some examples of primary malignancies include thyroid cancer, lymphomas, sarcomas, and salivary gland cancers. The most common primary neoplasms of the head and neck are squamous cell carcinomas, 
accounting for approximately 5% of all newly diagnosed cancers worldwide annually. Metastatic disease from primary head and neck cancer malignancies follow a well-delineated pattern of spread. The majority will spread to the lateral neck. However, cancers of the oral cavity usually spread to the submandibular triangle. Patients or their family members may notice a mass on their neck, or alternatively, one may be discovered on routine physical examination. There are many different signs and symptoms that may accompany the mass, which will help determine its etiology. Neck masses are often the only complaint of a patient with a head and neck cancer. Due to this, the diagnosis of a head and neck cancer is often delayed up to 180 days. A delay in an otolaryngology referral has been shown to be associated with a three-fold increase in mortality. When taking the history of present illness, or HPI, you should ask the patient how long the mass has been present and if they're experiencing associated pain. Acute symptoms, including fever, cough, or sore throat, suggest adenopathy as the result of an upper respiratory tract infection. Some red flags suggestive of malignancy that you should look out for when taking your patient's history includes that the mass has been present for over two weeks, there are voice changes, dysphagia, adenophagia, ipsilateral otagia, nasal obstruction, or epistaxis. Unexplained weight loss or loss of appetite are also considered red flags for malignancy. Risk factors for cancer should be identified, including alcohol or tobacco use, chronic oral candidiasis, or poor oral hygiene. However, the size, duration of the mass, and the patient's age are the most important predictors of malignancy. In regards to your patient's past medical history, be sure to ask about HIV or tuberculosis diagnosis or risk factors for these diseases, as well as any previous head and neck malignancy or head and neck cutaneous lesions. Also be sure to ask your patients about any other medical conditions and if they are taking any medications. Numerous cancers can metastasize to the neck and therefore a complete review of systems is extremely important in determining the diagnosis of the mass. This review of systems should ask about any symptoms of chronic disease, including fever, weight loss, and malaise. Physical examination begins with inspecting the patient's skin for pre-malignant or malignant lesions from chronic sun exposure. After inspection, a full head and neck exam should be completed to look for the source of the mass. Otoscopy should be performed. If a sinus or fistula is found within or near the ear canal, this could indicate a first branchial cleft anomaly, which as we discussed is a common congenital neck mass. The oral exam should involve palpating the base of the tongue, tonsils, the floor of the mouth, and the salivary glands to look for masses. Teeth should be percussed in order to assess for tenderness, commonly seen with a root infection. When doing the oral exam, ensure to check for ulcerations, asymmetries, especially in the tonsillar fossa, and submucosal swelling. It is important to remember that the most common malignancy is squamous cell carcinoma, which affects the mucosal surface and therefore will usually present with a non-healing ulcer. The thyroid should be inspected for any midline masses, both at rest and with the patient swallowing water. Then the thyroid should be palpated for any nodules or irregularities, again, both at rest and with the patient swallowing water. A thyroid mass should move with the larynx when swallowing occurs. From an endoscopic perspective, the nasal passages, middle meatus, nasopharynx, and larynx should be examined with flexible endoscope. When it comes to the characterization of the neck mass itself, it is very important to determine the location of the mass as it provides insight into the etiology. Often, otolaryngologists talk about the levels of the neck, and this is something to be aware of when discussing neck lymph nodes. 
where lymph nodes are located in the neck affects treatment and helps the surgeon determine the type of neck dissection that will be required. The neck can be divided into six sections. Level one includes the submental and submandibular triangles. Levels two, three, and four include the upper, middle, and lower internal jugular chain. Level five includes the posterior triangle, and level six includes the anterior compartment. The patient's neck should be palpated to evaluate the consistency of the mass, the size of the mass, the presence and degree of tenderness, and whether the mass is fixed or mobile. Some findings that indicate that the mass is more likely to be malignant include fixed masses, a size greater than 1.5 centimeters, firmness, and if it's accompanied by overlying skin lesions, such as ulcerations. The diagnosis of the neck mass is heavily guided by the history and physical examinations, which in turn will determine the appropriate management plan. As mentioned, neck masses most commonly fit into one of three broad categories, being a congenital anomaly, an infectious or inflammatory condition, or a neoplasm. If it is felt that the mass is infectious in nature, it is reasonable to try a short course of broad-spectrum antibiotics. However, it is important to remember that in the adult population, these neck masses should be treated as malignancy until proven otherwise. The mainstay of workup includes a fine needle aspiration biopsy and a CT scan of the neck. Depending on the findings of the physical exam, that will guide the next steps. For instance, if the patient has a thyroid nodule as well, an ultrasound-guided fine needle biopsy of the nodule would be warranted. Given that tobacco and alcohol use are risk factors for the development of head and neck cancers, physicians should ensure to educate their patients on the risks involved with these habits. Physicians can also provide patients with smoking cessation resources. Patients should be educated on proper oral hygiene, as poor oral hygiene is a risk factor for head and neck cancer. Additionally, physicians should encourage their patients to receive routine vaccinations against bacterial and viral infections. This will decrease the chances of developing an infectious neck mass. One infection of significant importance when it comes to head and neck cancers is human papillomavirus, or HPV. The presence of HPV-positive oropharyngeal cancer has more than tripled, from 19% to 66%, between 1987 and 2006. In fact, HPV is the most common sexually transmitted infection in America. Patients with HPV-positive head and neck cancers are often younger than those with HPV-negative head and neck cancers, and the masses are often asymptomatic and frequently cystic. For these reasons, HPV-positive head and neck cancer is often misdiagnosed or is diagnosed late. Therefore, HPV vaccination is recommended to protect against HPV-related infections and cancers. It is important to note that patients diagnosed with HPV-related oropharyngeal squamous cell carcinoma tend to have better outcomes than those with the non-HPV version of the disease. When it comes to the treatment of head and neck cancers, there are a few different options for treatment. Treatment of malignant lesions can include radiation and or chemotherapy and or surgery. If surgery is required, there are a variety of ways that the resulting wounds may be closed. One important concept in otolaryngology is the reconstructive ladder. The reconstructive ladder consists of a ladder of options for skin defect closure, starting with the most basic and then moving up to more advanced closure options. The steps of the reconstructive ladder are as follows. Secondary intention, primary intention, split thickness skin graft, full thickness skin graft, local flaps, regional flaps, and free flaps. In terms of final tips and tricks, a malignancy workup should be started for patients over the age of 40 and presenting with a persistent neck mass. 
Consider the location of neck masses along with the patient's history to narrow your differential diagnosis. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you'll tune in to our next episode. We would like to extend our sincerest thanks to the St. John Regional Hospital Department of Surgery within the Horizon Health Network for their very generous support. Please head to our website at www.theodoroapproach.com for our show notes and to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Thank you again, and we hope to see you next time.